Welcome to Don't Look Now, the podcast with your hosts, Jenny McDonald and Will Higgeman, coming to you every Tuesday with our glorious podcast, <laughs> full of topics of the strange, historical, I don't know what all, how to describe things, just uh, generally topics that we find fun and interesting, and are always researched by Jenny, our uh, researcher extraordinaire, and always a complete mystery to me at the start of every podcast, so... Give me, give me some hints about what we're talking about today, Jenny. What's what's the topic? This one's going to be super obvious. I'm going to give you like four hints and you're going to be like, oh, I know what this is. Yeah, you just jinxed me there. All right. No. <laughs> Here we go. Now um, I'm going to look can... like a dumbass. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Nope. I guarantee yeah. you, you're going to be like, oh, God, uh, one of these. Okay. England. Okay. I'm being vague. <laughs> because you're going to get <laughs> oh, this. Oh, I got it now. England. Yeah, right, yeah. It's spooky season. Okay. Which means it's going to be macabre. Yep. Macabre. I don't know. How do you say that? Macabre? Yeah, I think just macabre. Okay. Looks like macabre, though. So, yeah. We're going to be dealing with impoverished people. All right. Um, I don't know. The, uh, whatever, the Swanee Bean or whatever the... Didn't we already do Swanee Cannibalistic Bean? Scots. I think we probably did at some point. Yeah, I think we did that. I'm sorry. Yep, nope. Um, Try 18. We already did Birkin Hair. Hmm. Um, other poor, poor filled people in the UK in the 1880s. Man, I don't know. See, see, I'm looking stupid. Serial killer. Oh, Jack the Ripper. Okay, there, there we go. go. <laughs> I knew you'd get there. See, All if right. I had said Whitechapel, you'd have been Whitechapel, like, Whitechapel, oh, yeah, yep. Right on your toes, Jen. Nice. Yeah. So we're going to. Whitechapel gonna... is visited in our, you know, Liberty Bell episode. So. Yeah. So yeah. this is 100% based on the fact that I just watched American Ripper, which, if you haven't seen, is the most ridiculous History Channel series. Huh, I have not heard of this. <laughs> what it came out, oh God, probably 10 years ago. And it is based on the theory that H.H. Holmes is Jack the Ripper. Okay, yeah. His So H.H. Holmes' great-great-grandson does a whole investigation because he's convinced. And they have an ex-CIA agent and they travel the world trying to confirm or deny if this is possible. Yeah. Inconclusive. I would like to state for anyone that doesn't understand any historical murders from the 1800s are probably not likely to be solved <laughs> at this point. You don't have a lot of physical evidence at this point, huh? Well, I mean, even if you had physical evidence, like if you had, let's say, DNA that was hidden in a box somewhere that survived, it's potential that there's nobody to compare it to left anymore that has yep. quality DNA. Because like... H.H. Holmes, they actually exhumed him to try to get DNA from him, and his coffin had leaked. So, like, the DNA was destroyed. So, this is not an uncommon phenomenon in burials during this time period because crypts weren't sealed well, 
and we were still using pine coffins and groundwater would contaminate like all sorts of things that could cause issues, but just the physical evidence, like you said, just does not exist. So everything's hypothetical. (laughs) That's just what they want you to think because the grandson is actually H.H. Holmes and the man is immortal and it's just running around murdering people still. That's, That's our new movie pitch. Okay. I hate to say it. He doesn't look a lot like his great great grandfather, (laughs) but if that is the case, I'm in. I want to learn more about the immortal. Um, He's actually one of the Highlanders. And yeah. yeah. You know what? I bet he would love that story. He'd be into it. He seems like a really nice guy, too. Yeah. He just really wants to know the truth so he can lay it to rest at this point, which I kind of get. At any rate. um, So in this two for episode, Uh, This week, we're going to talk more about kind of the victims and what happened to them. And then Mm -hmm. next week, more of the like investigation and um, the the chaps we think might be Jack the Ripper. And there are some. Yeah, there's some interesting ones. Real interesting ones. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we could probably do three episodes and just do a whole episode on like four of them. (laughs) They're they're pretty interestingly wild. So. Um, Jack the Ripper, the murders themselves, often the women that were murdered are not cast in the best of light. So like the first time I heard about Jack the Ripper, all the women were prostitutes, prostitutes, Mm -hmm. prostitutes, prostitutes, right? Yeah. They all lived in the slums, East London, prostitutes. And they just really demonized these women. Like they were at fault for being murdered in alleys Mm -hmm. when in reality, They were working women who were impoverished and absolutely demonized by the media. This was one of the first times that the media became involved and that just rampant wildness of media got out of control and sensationalized a lot. So the story of the women, a lot of times now when you hear about the Jack the Ripper murders, they're really trying to reframe the history so that yeah. they they talk about these women in a much more respectful tone than they did in the early stories um and there's a whole like um podcast series about the individual women that's talks about them in a very like these women were victims of their circumstance not just of murder right yeah. so i encourage you to seek those out if interested um because I can't not get as in depth as they did with, because it was like a 10 part series, one part on yeah. each woman. <laughs> so sorry about that. But what we do know is that we have five, what are called canonical murders and then a handful that are associated. Um, they're not the only murders that are happening at the time. These are just the ones that are sensationalized. So the five well-known victims or the canonical five as the ripperologists call them because yeah there's a whole like subgenre of people that study this we've got um marianne nichols annie chapman elizabeth stride Catherine eddowes and mary jane kelly and they are all murdered between the 31st of august and the 9th of november so it's a very short window of time yeah. in which they are murdered and it totally captures the public's attention, right? So we know that the very beginning in the mid-19th century, England has this influx of immigrants, um, specifically Irish immigrants, who 
are leaving Ireland to come into London um, because they are trying to find jobs. So this is still a thing. People are fleeing the more rural areas of the islands and coming into the big cities. And then in 1882, Jewish refugees fleeing the Russian Empire and other areas of Eastern Europe immigrated to the same area because they were pretty accepting of the blending pot of people that were coming in. Mm-hmm. So you've got the parish of Whitechapel in the East End, and it has become exceedingly overcrowded. Um, so this would have been during that period of time when like 15, 20 people would have shared a one room. And I'll yeah. be like a one bedroom apartment. I mean, like one room. Yeah, it was real rough. And so they're pretty over overcrowded. We've got 800 or sorry, 80,000 inhabitants in this area. So you've got work and housing conditions that are pretty rough and significant, significant underclass um, economic underclass problems. 55% of the kids born in the East End died before they were even five years old. And apparently uh, robbery, violence, and alcohol were running things. And because poverty was so bad to feed their children, women did have to turn to prostitution and workhouses to try to survive. Mm-hmm. So in October of 1888, the London Metro Police estimated there's 62 brothels and 1,200 women working the streets. Approximately 8,500 people are residing in the 233 common lodging houses in the area. The nightly price for a bed being four pennies and the cost of sleeping upon a lean-to or hangover rope like a um, a hammock, that's the word, hammock, um, was two pence per person. So tight sleeping quarters. Yeah. And of course, like the worse it gets, you get a ton of social tension. So between 1886 and 1889, they had frequent demonstrations and the police had had to intervene several times for public unrest. So you have things like Bloody Sunday um, because people start to get too confined. They start to get a little bit racist. So you have a lot of anti-Semitism. You get crime. You get nativism, racism, social disturbance. Um, People just basically lose their shit. And yeah. Whitechapel starts to be known as this notorious den of immorality. So this just sets the scene. Um, and keep in mind, too, like, we're not talking clean water. We're not talking, like, great conditions. It's yeah. pretty gross. The buildings go up really high. It's really hard to breathe because of all the crap that's being burned to try to keep it warm. It's just not a great situation. Yeah. So, um a lot of women are attacked during this period of time and it's uncertain how many were actually attacked by the same individual. So if you look at it in 1888 to 1891, we know that there were 11 separate murders um, in this one small area and they just call them the Whitechapel murders. Mm -hmm. So the question is, should those murders be also linked to the canonical five are they all part of it are the five separate kind of depends the reason why they don't is because um there are very strong characteristics of the ripper five murders yeah that are not seen in all of the murders happening at the time but as we know 
like a lot of times as we know as those of us that watch criminal minds know um don't always have the same mo yeah yeah right they don't because they have an exploratory phase where they're learning and honing their craft sometimes not all the time serial killers are weird sometimes things happen sometimes they don't sometimes it's about the quality not about the quantity you know it just kind of depends on yeah the profiler i think what general weird type of sick you are so right how sick is it really is what it boils down to yeah. um so if you look at the canonical five those murders involved thick thick deep slash wounds to the throat uh extensive abdominal and genital mutilation and the removal of an internal organs as well as over time he got bolder and bolder and started mutilating the face um mm. so the first two cases of the Whitechapel murders are not necessarily included because they didn't follow those. So the first one is Emma Elizabeth Smith and the second is Martha Tabram. So if we look at Smith, she was robbed and sexually assaulted. Robbery also wasn't one of the components, but that's not to say somebody else didn't rob the body. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was robbed and sexually assaulted on Osborne street in Whitechapel at one thirty AM on April 3rd of 1888. She had been bludgeoned and then received a cut to her ear. Um, Things were inserted in her body and injured occurred as a result. Uh, She developed peritonitis and then died the following day at the London hospital. So she was alive when she got there and she was able to identify that she had been attacked by two or three men, one of which was a teenager. So they did initially attribute this to um the murders in the press but it sounded more like gang violence when they looked into it deeper as you can tell Mm -hmm. the other lady mrs tabram was murdered on a staircase landing in uh, george yard in whitechapel on august 7th she had 39 stab wounds to her like abdominal region Mm -hmm. so including throat lungs heart everything and then had additional wounds inflicted on her sex organs. Um, all but one of the wounds had been inflicted with a bladed intri- instrument, like a pen knife. With one exception, um, they noted that she probably had been stabbed by somebody that was right-handed. So only one instance did they switch hands, hmm. which is interesting because um, this is when all my gruesome details come out. And I apologize. Generally, to stab people, it's not super easy. And the person doing the job often ends up stabbing themselves over time, especially Hmm. with this many stab wounds because of their blood being so slippery. Yeah. So it's not uncommon to see somebody switching hands with a weapon to try to get a better grip on it, Hmm. which makes you think, is there a glove on to like help with this? Who knows, right? Um, But the interesting thing about this person is that at the time, they did not believe that this was sexually motivated, but since there were knife wounds to breasts and vagina, now they would argue that that is a sexually motivated crime. But at the time, they did not believe this. However, hmm. it was total savagery. Um, there's no real motive. It was really close, though, to the date of the later five murders of the Ripper. Mm-hmm. So they were like, obviously, this is the one. But maybe not. Yeah. Because it's so different from the others and has a differentiation in wound patterns. So, like I said, this is a gruesome episode. Yeah. 
you go to Mary Ann Nichols and Mary Ann Nichols is discovered at 3.40 on Friday, um, the 31st of August on Bucks Row, which is in Whitechapel. We know that she was alive an hour before they found her body because she um, had been sharing a bed at a common lodging house on Thrall Street. And the lady that found her was her roommate. Um, and they, she was just a worker, by the way, if I remember right. I think I wrote this in somewhere. I did not. She just was working in the workhouse. She was not a sex worker at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but when she was found, her throat was cut. And um, she had been stabbed in her sex organs several times. Her bowels protruded from an abdomen cut. And there were a whole bunch of other, like, very gruesome things to find. Can't even imagine finding your roommate in that position. Yeah. And then a week later, they found Annie Chapman at 6 a.m. Um, near the steps of Hanbury Street. So she also had throat wounds. Her abdomen had cut, been cut open. So this is where we start to see that really clear delineation of this pattern. Um, because once again, bowels had been removed. And then like, this is becoming more dissection at this point and less like haphazard in nature. Mm. And when they start to do the inquest, Someone had also seen her about a half an hour before she was murdered, but she had been walking with an, a gentleman wearing a deerstalker hat and a dark overcoat. So this is where the prostitution conversation started and um, where we have some of those early descriptions of what he could have looked like. So the woman that saw her walking off with this man said that he was pretty shabby, but might have been like somebody who'd gotten fallen on his bad luck recently that was previously fairly well off. And apparently he said to her, will you? And she goes, yup. Which doesn't mean that she was into prostitution, but that was the implication, right? Mm -hmm. So then we have Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Eddowes. They were both killed within a very small period of time on Sunday the 30th. So Stride was found at 1 a.m. in Dutfield Yard um, in Whitechapel. Hers looks like he was interrupted is what people will often say because it wasn't a complete dissection that it had been in the previous murders mm -hmm. um several witnesses said that they had seen her in the company of a man uh nearby about an hour or so before and he was once again kind of shabbily dressed but someone that would have previously been wealthy um and the descriptions were very similar to the other descriptions and then Catherine Eddowes was found on Mitre Square in the city of London about you know, 45 minutes after they found Elizabeth Stride. He had plenty of time to work on her. So that was a well-done dissection. And it seems like there was particular care given to doing things like hysterectomies and like extra weird, vicious attacks against women, really. Hmm. Um, and also on her he had really gone after her face and disfigured her. So like he was particularly aggressive in the murder of this woman after yeah. being interrupted. Um, so that's kind of weird. The postmortem, they said that each mutilation that he did of her face would have taken about five minutes to complete because Jeez. of the way they were done. So they were pretty intense. So a local cigarette salesman named Joseph Lond um, had walked around Mitre Square with a few friends right before the murder. And he said he saw a fair haired person with a shabby, but yet not terrible appearance with a woman who might've been Catherine Eddowes. 
they were unable to confirm his description. So at this point, these two murders back to back are called the double event. And this is another one of those weird ripperologists, like weird things. They love this particular story. Hmm. Super weird. Oddly enough, this is also evidence of things leaving the crime scene for the first time. So part of Catherine Edo's apron was found at the entrance to a tenement on Goulson Street about three o'clock in the morning. And there's a chalk inscription above where they found the apron. Don't know if it's related, but I'm going to say what it is. Um, And it's graffiti. And of course, it has its own mythology in the Ripperology. Um, The message was to imply that that Jewish people were responsible for the murders, but it was unclear whether like the murderer dropped the section of the apron there, had anything to do with the case, probably had absolutely nothing to do with the case. And it just was convenient. And they latched onto something as people like to do with Jewish people. So who knows? Um, And graffiti like this was really common in Whitechapel. Like I said, they became more and more racist as time went on. And we had a whole influx of Jewish people trying to escape Russian Orthodox issues. Um, So the fear, though, at the time was that this graffiti that is found in places would spark anti-Semitic riots. So they Mm -hmm. washed it away before other people could see it before the press got it. So we lost some of that like key evidence and like handwriting. Could it have been once eighteen yeah. hundreds? We lost key evidence. Will <laughs> we didn't have forensics down like we do these days, and people yeah. are up in arms about it. <laughs> hmm. yeah. Give them a piece of your mind, I guess. So. I guess just raise hell, everybody. So then we have Mary Jane Kelly, who is the fifth and final of the canonical five. She's interesting because the other women were found outside, but she was found in her room at her house off Dorset Street in Spitfields. Mm-hmm. She was once again alone with this person for quite a while, quite a while, because the disfigurement was pretty intense as well as the rest of the, I'm going to call it autopsy for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. And Parts were missing. Trophies were taken, which is horrible. Multiple ashes found within the fireplace suggested that she, um, her murderer had burned several combustible items to illuminate the room as he did his work. A recent fire had been severe enough to melt the solder between the kettle and its spout, which had fallen off into the grate of a fireplace. So he kept that fire burning hard for quite a long time. So he had a really long time to work there. So here's what we know. Each of these particular five murders was perpetrated at night on or close to a weekend. So if you look at normal, um, like what they do on the shows is they would say this person had a job eight to five or worked the night shift and was just getting off or just going into work or had a long weekend. So they had time to do what they wanted to do without people noticing they were missing Mm -hmm. and noticing if they were injured is the other thing, but it doesn't seem like this person got injured with all of this, which is interesting because we went from like stabbing people to carving people. And that's a whole different methodology. Um, And as, like I said, we do know that things got more and more intense as time went on. Um, And there were many trophies taken from 
the various bodies and it got worse and worse as time went on and with different murders. So historically, the belief is, is that these five murders were committed by the same perpetrator. And this is from, you know, all the documentation that they have from the yard at the time, linking them together. Mm -hmm. The um, assistant chief constable, the Metro police and head of criminal investigation department wrote a report that said the Whitechapel murder had five victims and five only. So he was very certain that the other murders that happened around the same time were not part of the same killer's work. Okay. So interestingly enough, of course, researchers have come in with our <laughs> theories a hundred years later. And they're like, undoubtedly, these five are probably the same five. Um, however, are all of the cases that way? Um, so they do link three to the same perpetrator for sure. There is a little bit of question, though, if um, Mary Kelly and Miss Stride were murdered by the same individual, which I think is interesting. Like most people really do believe those five were the same person, mm-hmm. but those two were just so different from everything else that they stand out. Um, but at the end of the day, most people say five for five, right? Yeah. So generally people believe Mary Jane Kelly is considered to be the final victim. Um, and then the question is what happened, right? Like, most people don't kill five people and then just stop. So what causes people to stop doing this? Well, it could be they died. They could have been imprisoned, institutionalized, or maybe they immigrated elsewhere. However, there were four more murders that occurred afterward that are also interesting in the same area. Yeah. The first is um, 26-year-old Rose Milette. She was found on the high street in December. There's no real signs of a struggle. um, And the police at the time believed she accidentally hung herself while in a drunken stupor or maybe had committed suicide, which is super unfair to use those two things. Like, oh, she was drunk and accidentally committed suicide. That's just lazy police work. But unless you have good cause to believe that. Especially because faint markings left by the cord on her neck suggested she had also been strangled. So, like, when they actually went in and had a pathologist, I don't know if they were pathologists at the time, but the coroner looked at it and determined this was a murder. So, probably not. And then we have Alice McKenzie, who uh, was murdered shortly after midnight on July of the following year in Whitechapel. She was stabbed. And she had several bruises and cuts on her body. She had long superficial wounds um, from breast to navel. And when they examined her, they thought it was a ripper murder initially. um, Because the guy that did the examination had looked at the previous victims Mm -hmm. with him. Of course, like you get a couple of people in the room. One person has to say one thing. One person has to say another. And they all start to disagree. And this is when the great divide starts. Um, So... Some of the parts were the same. Some of them weren't. So they were like, obviously, this is a copycat. And the other guys, obviously, this is Jack the Ripper. Don't know. And then there was a decomposing headless, legless torso of an unidentified woman discovered in the railway arch in Pynchon Street in Whitechapel in September of that year. We've got bruising um, to the back, the hip, and arms. Um, Probably the person had been beaten extensively before their death. 
So there were a lot of horrible things that happened to this poor woman. And then she's dismembered and left there. And that one is maybe, I don't, I don't think that sounds similar, but I don't have pictures and I wasn't there. And then finally, we have February of 1891. Um, this at the same time, we have a 25-year-old sex worker by the name of Francis Cole lying beneath a railway arch in Swallow Gardens in Whitechapel. This is interesting because she did have the deep neck cut, mm-hmm. but the rest of the body was not mutilated. So it's believed that this the police officer that stumbled acro- across her probably disturbed the assailant in the act. Um, she was still alive when he got to her, but died before medical help could arrive. So someone had seen her earlier um, and actually had gotten into an argument with her just prior. Um, and so he was initially arrested by the police and charged with the murder. And he was briefly, of course, thought to be Jack the Ripper. But then all of the uh, charges are dismissed because they don't have any evidence other than that he got into a fight with her. Mm-hmm. There's a handful of other victims that are potential. Um, so you've got the the fairy fae, um, but it's not sure if this is a real or fabricated fight. Um, this is a nickname given to an unidentified woman who was found in a doorway um, and doesn't match any of the other previous murders. Um, probably confused through a press report of another person. Um, so they kind of conflated the Emma Smith murder with the fairy fae in the press somehow. Hmm. And then you have a 38-year-old widow by the name of Annie Millwood, who had been admitted to the Whitechapel Workhouse Infirmary. She was admitted while she was still alive. She'd been stabbed a bunch of times. Um, and she informed the staff who had done it was an unknown man. And she, you know, is eventually discharged, thankfully, but unfortunately died about a month later and they say of natural causes but i don't know what kind of natural causes a 38 year old woman was dying of in these days Mm -hmm. so i'd like to know more information Hmm. right that one seems weird um prior to the the five is a young dressmaker by the name of ada wilson who reportedly survived being stabbed in the neck twice with a clasp knife at the doorstep of her home from a man who was trying to rob her this actually sounds like it has potential to me, like someone's building yeah. up the steam to get there. And then another gentleman, or sorry, another lady who was staying at the same house as Martha Tabram, who was one of the first victims, also had been attacked in 1888, just prior to the murders, and received a cut to the throat. And so it seemed similar enough that maybe once again, he was gathering his gumption to make that big move. Who knows? So this is just kind of a mystery of lots of murdered women in this area. I mean, there's probably five more at least that appear, none of which are similarly enough to be considered part of the Rippers, but they're not not. Yeah. So part of looking at the case investigation is looking at all these and like trying to determine what weeds them in and weeds them out. And honestly, it's kind of, difficult um the only one that really stands out as weird is that there's a seven-year-old little boy that is murdered during this Mm -hmm. time period but everything that was done 
was so similar to a Ripper murder that it doesn't make sense Hmm. that it wouldn't have been him. In fact, they actually arrested this little kiddo's um, employer, a milkman who was 23 years old, and he was arrested twice for the murder of this little boy. But they could never prosecute him because they don't have enough evidence, which is wild when you think about it. They're, this person is with these victims for a really long time to not have any evidence, really. Mm-hmm. At any rate. Um, so, like I said, we're not going to dig deep into the investigation because I could go on and on and on <laughs> and on about that. For um, another time. <laughs> yeah, that is for next week. Um, but I will say that the murders are weird. Um, and there's a lot going on. So... We've got a lot of just noise in the background from societal unrest. And imagine having way too many people in too small of a confined space. You're going to have a lot of murders. There's going to be a lot of similarities. It's not like guns are very um, prolific in this country, especially not during this time. Mm -hmm. And so knives would be very common. Ropes would be common. So you would anticipate to see those things in angry arguments. Also, everybody carried a knife, right? Yeah. Like in the 1880s, it would not be uncommon for everybody to have a knife, at least one. Yeah. So these would have been crimes of opportunity based on the weapons at hand. So, yeah, I don't have a great answer yet because we still have to go through the investigation and suspects. Well, yeah, but no, that's interesting because I've never really heard much about anything else around that time or other murders that might or might not be linked and that kind of stuff. So it gets real interesting once you get to some of the suspects and Mm -hmm. like granted everybody's a theory yeah i read a patricia cornwall book about jack the ripper and her theory is one of the zaniest theories that that the worst part is that there's so much research she did i didn't realize some of this information is still available for people like she had people's individual medical records talking about like disfigurements that it's a lot of information (laughs) (laughs) to have a hundred and some years later but somebody was a very thorough researcher at the police station is all i gotta say so we'll get into it and get a little little stranger all right well cool well thanks for part one here and that's a lot of interesting stuff and yeah i'm looking forward to learning more about it so yeah it thanks for everything thank you for everybody for listening tonight you know as always uh, rate subscribe review Tell your friends about our podcast, and uh, we'll catch you all next week. Bye-bye, folks.